0: It's wonderful on Easter Sunday morning to just be remembering what the real meaning of Easter is all about. I read this uh, in the paper yesterday. This was uh, uh, one of the main articles uh, in one of um, our daily newspapers. This is what it just says. I'd just like you to listen to this. This is someone I don't know whether they're a Christian or not, but this is what they wrote. The truth is People are not kept away from the central message of the Easter story by the magnitude of the problem of evil. Instead, we are kept away by trivia and diversions, by traffic jams and shopping malls being open over the weekend. Our faith has not been destroyed, as intellectuals might suppose, by Marx, but by Marx and Spencer, it was not the atheist scientist Richard Dawkins who stopped us believing in Christ. It was the spread of prosperity, of shopping and package holidays. We can easily dismiss Easter as a fairy tale, especially if we hide ourselves from the uncomfortable fact that the first men and women who claimed to be witnesses to Easter were prepared to be tortured and to die horribly than to deny the risen Christ. Thought that was an interesting little article in the newspaper yesterday. We're going to uh, read a passage. The words will come behind me on the screen, and uh, it's a passage from John chapter 19. And then we're going to read some verses through into John chapter 20. And I'll read it, um, but you'll be able to follow it on the screen behind me. Later. Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body of Jesus. Now Joseph was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly he feared the Jews. With Pilate's permission, he came and took the body away. He was accompanied by Nicodemus, the man who earlier had visited Jesus at night. Nicodemus brought a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds. Taking Jesus' body, the two of them wrapped it with the spices in strips of linen This was in accordance with the Jewish burial customs. At the place where Jesus was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden, a new tomb, in which no one had ever been laid. Because it was the Jewish day of preparation, and since the tomb was nearby, they laid Jesus there. He bent over and looked in at the strips of linen lying there, but didn't go in. Then Simon Peter, who was behind him, arrived and went into the tomb. He saw the strips of linen lying there, as well as the burial cloth that had been around Jesus' head. The cloth was folded up by itself, separate from the linen. Finally, the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went inside. He saw and believed. They still didn't understand from Scripture that Jesus had to rise from the dead. This morning, we're going to focus on those few words. He saw and believed. I don't know uh, if you uh, watch a lot of television. Some of you may not. But there was a, uh, a little series on in 2014 called The Missing with James Nesbitt. And uh, his son uh, disappears, and uh, he is convinced that his son is still alive because they never find the body. Of course, it has echoes of the story of Madeleine McCann, which all of us, or most of us, will remember. The body can't be found, and so the parents hope, against hope that their child is still alive. This excerpt that we've just read equally leaves us with a big question. The plot is slightly different, but it has everything. An innocent victim executed on trumped-up charges. Political intrigue and skullduggery. Religious prejudice. A disappearing body. A string of characters with questionable motives. And last but not least, people adamantly claiming that this Jesus is alive. The difference, contrary to claims of people like Richard Dawkins, is that this story is based on substantive facts and not a work of, and is not a work of fiction. Listen to some of the facts. Jesus really existed. When I was growing up, I used to play in the street with a number of boys, play football. And one of the latter I, I vividly remember him, Sean Evans, saying to me, because I said I went to church. My mum took me to church. He said, oh, I don't believe in any of that. Jesus was just a spaceman. That's what he said. I remember it vividly. People have all sorts of views about who Jesus was half the time they're conveying they don't really believe he existed. In the height of communism, the Russians were encouraged to believe that Jesus was a mythical figure who never really existed. That was a definition in a Russian dictionary. A mythical figure who never really existed. I want to tell you that there is no serious historian that would agree with that statement reliable roman and jewish historians of the period of when jesus and around the period when jesus lived refer to his existence they weren't christians they include people like tacitus suetonius josephus jesus really existed jesus really died all the gospel writers agree that Jesus was executed on a Friday just before the Jewish Passover by Roman soldiers who were experts in crucifixion such that victims often took days to die. Their very lives, the soldiers' lives, depended on an execution. If they got it wrong, they would die. Yet because of the Passover, they... Uh, decided to sp- were asked to speed up the death of the three victims. Jesus was one of three being executed that day. And they went to break the legs of the victims because by breaking the legs, it brought on asphyxiation much quicker and the, uh, the, uh, uh, and the victims would die very quickly. When they come to Jesus, they are surprised to find that Jesus is already dead. That is... Unusual. It's so unusual that one of the soldiers takes a spear and just to make sure he plunges it into Jesus' side into uh, what is the pericardium. And we're told the, the gospel writer tells us that outflows blood and water. The blood had started to separate. That is a sign, a medical sign that the person is dead. Without doubt, Jesus died. Tacitus, writing 80 years after the event, simply says, Jesus was crucified. Jesus really was buried. His body was handed over to Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus to bury in Joseph's own tomb. Both of them were secret followers of Jesus, we're told. They provided 75 pounds of, a, 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 of burial ointment, a mixture of aloes, which is a fragrant wood which has been pounded into dust, and myrrh, which was an aromatic gum, and they mixed them together to prepare the body for burial. They tightly wrapped the body, probably with the arms across the chest like that, and they wrapped, them in, wrapped the body in strips of linen. And as they wrapped the linen tightly around the body, they would put this mixture of burial mixture, this aloes and myrrh, and in between each bit of the binding. So 75 pounds of this stuff was wrapped around Jesus' body tightly. And over time, it would harden like a plaster cast. The perfume was to mask the smell of decay. The head and shoulders, though, were probably uh, not, uh, uh, they didn't wrap them in linen. What they did is they would leave those bare and they would put over the face a napkin and they would wrap it and just tie it uh, lightly round the back of the head, just like a mask over the face. So the body then would be laid out uh, in the uh, cave and they would, they would lay the body on a rock ledge cut into the tomb. They would lay the body there all wrapped up, apart from the head and the shoulders, with a napkin over the head. Then a large stone was rolled in front of the entrance to secure the tomb. It was sealed and a guard was posted outside because the Jewish leaders were afraid that the disciples would try and steal the body. The following morning before dawn, a number of women who were Jesus' followers came to finish off the burial preparations. And yet they found the stone is rolled away with no sign of the guards and the body gone. This is a real whodunit. Mary left to tell Peter and John. And they run to the tomb to find out what's happened. They get there. John stands at the entrance of the tomb and he looks in. And we're told he sees Inside the tomb, he just saw. He could just that the word, the Greek word is he just saw. Peter comes, Peter presses past him, goes inside the tomb, and he looks around and it says he saw what was in the tomb. And he they use the same word for both those incidents. And then John comes into the tomb after Peter. And then we're told he sees, and the the writer uses a different Greek word. The word for seeing that he uses in that instance means he saw something, and from it he understood something, he deduced some facts. It's a different word. And we're told that John saw and believed. And we're going to spend a few minutes considering the life-changing impact of that empty tomb that first Easter Sunday morning. You see, the first thing is John saw something. He saw something. Now, I don't know about you, but there's... uh, I don't know if you've followed stuff on the internet, but there's been this recent debate about a dress... Some of you will uh, remember it. Perhaps will have seen it. It was uh, a few weeks ago. It was all uh, the internet was buzzing with it. It was on the news, and there was this dress. And some people saw it as black and blue, and others as gold and white. Some people were absolutely convinced it was gold and white. Others were absolutely convinced it was black and white. They were seeing the same dress. Actually, my greatest concern is that Annette was going to want to buy both of them. (laughs) You see, the truth is, the difference in perspective was due to lighting. How we perceive light and color. The reality was the dress was blue and black. Everybody saw the same dress But some people saw the truth and some people didn't. Both Peter and John go into the tomb and both see the same thing but one of them comes to a very different life-changing conclusion in the moment. You see, John goes in And what John saw was this. He saw that the burial clothes, the clothes that had been wrapped around Jesus' body were still in place. Where they'd laid Jesus' body. He saw that none of them were, the the strips were taken off. He saw that the 75 pounds of aloes and myrrh were still in place. What he saw, what he understood from that was this. He knew that if someone had tried, had stolen the body, they would have had to have unwrapped it. That there would have been this uh, burial ointment all over the floor. The cloths would have been all over the place. He saw as well that this napkin that had been around the face was in the place where the head would have been neatly folded. In that moment, John saw the truth. He deduced something from the facts. The grave clothes were untouched, they weren't strewn about the tomb. There was no sign of a disturbance, there was no sign of robbers. Campbell Morgan, a commentator, says this. The grave cloths had not been disturbed. They were just as Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus had left them. The wrappings were still there. The spices had not escaped. Moreover, the napkin wrapped in a peculiar way about the head was undisturbed, folded up. The word doesn't mean smoothed out. The napkin was still in the the folds that had had been wound round the head. There are all sorts of explanations about what happened to Jesus' body. Some say it was stolen. Others say that the disciples went to the wrong tomb. But no one, no one was ever able to produce the body and silence Jesus' followers' claims. And his followers were prepared to die for the truth that Jesus had risen from the dead. You see, if Jesus didn't die and had someone and had revived in the cool of the tomb. His body was broken. He'd lost huge amounts of blood. He was dehydrated. He was wrapped tightly in cloths made heavier by a The equivalent. He was wrapped in the equivalent of thirty-five pound, two pound, thirty-five, two pound bags of sugar. That's what seventy-five pounds is wrapped around his body. He wouldn't have been able to get them off. you. If you read through the Gospels, there's another instance where Jesus raises Lazarus from the dead. And he says, you'll have to help him get out of the grave clothes. You'll have to unwrap him. He can't get out himself. Jesus would not have been able to roll the stone away from inside the tomb. Anybody who'd come to steal the body would have strewn grave the grave clothes all over the place. would have been, or they would have just taken the body with the grave clothes. But what John saw was everything in place. It was just like the body had just disappeared. It was just like I want you to imagine a balloon. There was like a balloon in the closet, and then the balloon popped. And all that was left was the wrappings. It was like a chrysalis where a butterfly has flown, but the chrysalis is perfectly in place. The body has literally just passed through. Another commentator, D.A. Carson, says this. Jesus' resurrection body apparently passed through the grave, clothes, spices and all, in much the same way that he later appeared in a locked room. The tomb was empty, and he had gone. John saw something. But John believed something. He came to the only conclusion possible. Jesus had risen from the dead. He was absolutely convinced in the moment that Jesus was alive. Peter saw the same thing. He left puzzled and confused, not sure quite what was going on. Maybe hoping against hope, but there was something lacking. There was not the same faith in his heart. John had a seed of faith sown in his heart in that moment. No doubt he started to remember all the things that the Old Testament promised about the Messiah. No doubt he remembered all the things that Jesus himself had said. He would have remembered Jesus saying this, The Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders, chief priests, and teachers of the law. And he must be killed and after three days rise again. Suddenly, John got it. It made sense to him. He was, in that moment, convinced that Jesus was alive. You see, fundamentally, Christianity is not about intellectual comprehension or logical reasoning. This message is foolishness to those who think they're wise. God sent his son to die on a cross and three days later to rise from the dead. It makes no human sense at all. As an eight or nine-year-old boy, I remember... Coming home one Sunday, my mum used to take me to church, and I remember coming home to my bedroom, going into my bed, and falling on my bed and crying out, God, save me. I believed that Jesus died and rose again from the dead, and he did it for me, that I might have a relationship with God as an eight- or nine-year-old boy. Now, I messed up greatly in my late teens, early 20s. But fundamentally, I believe that Jesus is alive. We heard some magnificent stories of young teenagers who came to faith, some of them at a very early age. You see, it's not how clever you are, it's not how many degrees you've got, it's not how intellectual you are. This is about believing in Christ, that he rose from the dead. That takes a work of God in your heart. A seed being sown in your heart. And in that moment, John got it. Maybe for some of you this morning. You get it. You're sitting there thinking, it's just like a light bulb moment. The light bulb's gone and you go, I get it. I get it. I understand it. Never understood it before. We had a baptism before Christmas. And someone came to me before the baptism, and and, and I think, in essence, they would have believed about Jesus, that they were a historical person, but didn't believe that they were God's son, that they rose from the dead. And at the end of the baptism, they'd had a light bulb, moment. they came to me, and they said, Steve, I just want to tell you, I don't know what's going on, but I saw Jesus. While we were worshipping, I saw him looking at me. I know that he's alive. I know that he's real. And I want to say to you, that is what faith, God comes and he reveals himself to you and you just know, maybe you don't see anything like that, but you just know in your heart he's alive, he's alive, he's changed these people's lives and I want what they've got. John believes something, finally he receives something. I was talking to my daughter. and uh, She lives in Swansea. She's been married a couple of years now. And uh, at their wedding, they invited a number of uh, friends and uh, work colleagues. And some of my brother, uh, my son-in-law's work colleagues came. And uh, a guy came who's in his fifties. Uh, doesn't go to church. Doesn't believe. And uh, he came to the wedding. And uh, he came to the wedding. He was delighted to be there. And they invited him around for just before Christmas for a meal. And he came around to their house. They stayed till early hours of the morning. And he said, there's what, as they were talking, he said, there's one thing. He said, I, I really delighted like to come to your wedding. But there was one thing that struck me. The guy who was talking at the wedding, giving a wedding address, he said one thing. He said, I can't get it out of my head. He said this. He said that God had planned that you two would be together since before time began. He said, I can't get my head around it doesn't make any sense to me, explain to me, help me understand, so they have a great conversation with him, he comes round uh, in the last week or so for another meal, he comes round and as he comes through the door, he says this, he says to them, he just says, the start of the evening, he says, I want to tell you, he said, I want what you have got, he said, I don't care, he said, I just want it, I see something that you have, I want to receive the same thing. He saw something, he's starting to believe something, but he wants it for himself. He knows he's got to receive something. In that moment, in the t- John received something. It didn't, wasn't just intellectual, it was something happened in his heart. This is what John himself says in John chapter 1. Yet to all who received him, that's Christ. To those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children not born of natural descent, nor of human decision, nor a husband's will, but born of God. He also says this in another letter that he writes. God has given us eternal life, and this life is in his Son. He who has the Son has life. He who does not have the Son of God does not have life. This is a gift of God. It's not something you're ever going to earn you receive it by faith it is the grace of god you will not earn it you become a child of god god becomes your father this is what the new testament says happens when we receive christ just going to read out in acts it says we receive forgiveness of sin that's good news That is good news. Forgiveness of sin. In Romans it says this. Calls it God's abundant provision of grace. God has an abundant provision of grace for you. It also says that we receive the spirit of sonship. We become sons and daughters of God. In Galatians, it says we receive the promise of the Spirit. In Galatians, it says we receive the full rights of sons. In James, it says we receive the crown of life. Easter Sunday is a moment to remind all of ourselves that what we, of what we have because Christ has risen from the dead. But it's also a moment to take a big step of faith and put your trust in him. As I finish, there's an old grave in Italy. The grave is of of a man who was not a follower of Jesus, not a Christian. He had a huge stone slab put over his grave just in case there was a resurrection from the dead. And on it had been written these words, I don't want to be raised from the dead, I don't believe in it. It's true. Evidently, at his burial, an acorn had fallen into the grave. Over a hundred years later, as people went to visit that grave, that cemetery, they found that the acorn had grown and had gra- and, and grown through the grave and had split the stone slab, becoming a towering oak tree. Tim Keller, a Christian writer in America, says this, the minute you decide to receive Jesus as Savior and Lord, the power of the Holy Spirit comes into your life. It's the power of the resurrection. The same thing that raised Jesus from the dead. Think of the things you see as immovable slabs in your life. Your bitterness, your insecurity, your fears, your self-doubts. Those things can be split and rolled off. The more you know him, the more you grow into the power of the resurrection. You need to see something. You need to see that this is true. You need to believe something. You need to believe that God raised his son from the dead. Jesus is the first born from the dead. He will never die again. And because he will never die again, we know that one day we will pass through the waters of death and we will pass into God's presence forever and ever and ever. God wants you to believe that. But you need to receive something. You need to receive something from God this morning. If you're ready to believe, God wants you to come to him today.